two more um, sacraments we'd like to do this morning. The first is we'd like to teach this word, and then we'd like to come to this table for the living word, um, the body and the blood of Christ. So would you turn to 1 John chapter 2, please? Verse 29. And before we stand... Can I just remind us that when we get to 1 John 2.28, and you can listen to this, get a CD if you didn't hear this last week, or if you want to podcast this, whatever. Um, When we get to 1 John 2.28, it is basically the beginning of the body of the letter. There's been a long introduction. We know already from the introduction that the letter is about fellowship, about intimate fellowship with the Father and with His Son and with the brothers and the sisters. And there's something so important about that fellowship that John said, if you all have that kind of fellowship, my joy will be complete. My joy will be full. That, that's pretty deep for an apostle to say. If you get that, everything that you need will be in your life if you have that kind of fellowship. And then as we got to verse 28, there was a theme that was added to this theme of fellowship, and that is that one day at the end of time, this one that's called the Son, Jesus the Son, will return And it will be the end of all things. And at that point, you and I, as believers in Jesus, who are destined to be in his kingdom already, nevertheless, we will be evaluated at that point for how we have walked in fellowship. The word that was used was abiding, which is probably the chief New Testament word for this uh, concept of fellowship. He says, if you abide in him, in verse John 2, 28, then when you stand before him at the end of all things, uh, you will have confidence before him and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Remember the illustration from the Chronicles of Narnia. Well done, last, well done, Tyrion, last of the kings of Narnia. You stood tall at her darkest hour, something I think we all long to hear. And the reason we'll be evaluated based upon our fellowship is because, again, that fellowship is what we have to offer the world in this last hour. If they don't see Jesus in us, and our connections with him and one another, then they're lost. They have nothing. They're looking for that kind of healing. And we we are the ones. We are the foretaste of glory divine, as the old hymn says. So that's why we will be evaluated based upon that key element of our living our life together. And before we move on, were there any questions that were kind of lingering in your mind from last week about this thing called the return of Jesus? It was um, quite uh, quiet in here. Sometimes that means we're sleeping, and sometimes that means we're simply contemplating, and it, it's all good. And yeah, James. I, I've read in uh, many places uh, that the coming of the Lord Jesus back is not preached or teached, taught yes. from the pulpit. Can you give a little bit of a reason for that? Is, is it not to scare people? Or what, why is the, the coming of Jesus not taught so much? Um, I guess I can't speak for others, obviously. I don't know what's it. Remember the ascribing motive talk we gave? I don't know what motives are in the the hearts and minds of other teachers and pastors and bishops and whatnot. I can say that um, for me, I think sometimes I get so wrapped up in the day-to-day that I forget to lift up my, my head and remember that the next event on the calendar since we live, according to John, in the last hour, what's called the last hour, which could be of an undetermined length. It's not like literally we've got two hours left. It's like we're just in the last time period, that, that we're looking forward that return. We're going to see that more today. I forget that that's our hope. 
and I know Jesus is with me today, and I'm just looking for that wound today to be healed, and I just, for me, I just forget. But I think it behooves us to remember, because as John is going to say today, if we don't remember and get our eyes there, if we are just locked down in today, we will get overwhelmed with discouragement. But when we lift our eyes up and we go, it's kind of like, I mean, if the Tigers during the World Series could have just seen what the bottom of the ninth was going to look like in a good way, it didn't really happen for us. But if they could have just seen, wouldn't that have chilled them out in even the worst of innings? before the ninth came. And I think for us, we get so discouraged that one of the main ways that the New Testament encourages us is to say, lift up your eyes and know that he is returning and he's going to make all things right. Any other questions about this theme? Because this, this theme is going to follow us throughout all the way to the uh, uh, end of the fourth chapter. Yes, Dan. Yes. Yes. Ah. Yes. Huge. Yes. So Dan asked the question. God love you, man. This is a great question. He says, so when I stand before the Lord... Will he be looking at my pre-Jesus life? Some of us have, uh, before Jesus, we've all got a mess, and some of us carry parts of that, all of us carry parts of that mess into our post-Jesus life because we're working out what it looks like now to be with him. But as I understand standing before the Lord, it's only how we have abided in him once we met him. Because how could you abide in him if the, if the evaluation is about abiding and you haven't met him yet? You don't know him. He's not within you. So how can you abide in him and have fellowship with him and be evaluated upon that when you hadn't met him yet? So what we're going to be, uh, what's going to be looked at is this, this abiding life once we um, came to Christ. And by the way, remember, it's not about perfection. We talked about Justin Verlander had a few bad games. We all have bad games, but you could say he was abiding in the realm of being a good pitcher this year, couldn't you? I mean, my goodness, he might still be the Cy Young Award winner. All right, a couple more, and then I've got to teach this passage, hopefully. Yeah, Cindy. Pastor, yes. When we go to be judged, yes. it's not Father God that's going to judge us, it's Jesus who's going to judge us. She's asking the question about what parts of the Trinity, this mystery of Father, Son, and Spirit at the judgment. And all I can tell you is that um, it looks like in the New Testament writings that judgment is giving to the, given to the Son. It's given to the Son, to Jesus, yes. We'll see Jesus there. We'll meet Jesus there. Okay? Great question. And did I have one here or here? Yes, and then here. Dorothy. Yes. 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 What about the signs? Is what Dorothy's saying about the signs. All right. Oh, boy. That is one huge can of worms. Let me tell you my take, though. First of all, I think in the gospel, sometimes we think Jesus was talking about something in the end, and he was really talking more in context about the coming of Titus to defeat, uh, of Rome, to defeat 
Jerusalem and to overturn the temple system, which he was coming to replace. So I think we have to be careful in context that we don't let theology over the years cause us to read into something. Oh, I know what that is. I've heard about that. We have to let the scripture kind of speak, the context speak. I also think Revelation... I like to start with my eschatology, and eschatology simply means a a study of the eschaton. The eschaton is simply the end. It's the Greek word for the end times. I like my eschatology. I like to find my eschatology outside of Revelation first. Why would I want to do that? Because who can understand Revelation? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we can't understand Revelation. We can, some of the cookies are on the higher shelf, so we, we have to study hard. I did a series on Revelation about 12 years ago, and uh, I want to trash it because I don't think, I, I, there's so much more I think I know now. My thought on signs is that there's so much confusion about signs that, that I'm going to say that as far as I'm concerned, there doesn't need, and we can, we can work out particular texts, but I'm living, the next sign will be the return in other words, what I, it's called imminency, theologically, that his return is imminent. Nothing else has to happen before he steps through. In fact, James 5 says the judge, that would be Jesus, is standing at the door. And it's, it's just a word picture, but it's like the son stands there looking at the father. And you know, this is, this is metaphor because the Trinity, who can describe this? But the son is standing there at the door of eternity to come into our world and say it's over and we're going to put the new heavens and the new earth here. He's looking over at the Father, waiting for the Father to go like this. He's right here, waiting for the Father to go like that, and then he steps in, and, here, and it's the end of time. It's imminent. So I don't get too wound up with the signs. I can go into that more on, in a private conversation. I'm like, what I see is he's coming. He's standing at the door. We live in the last hour. He could come at any moment, which is one of the reasons why one of the words last week was what? Urgency. You don't know if you've got tomorrow, let alone physically. We might have a heart attack, God forbid, not to be a Debbie Downer, but you know, things happen. But the return could be here and we will have lost any other opportunity to abide in Christ and give that away to others. One last question, David. Good question, Dorothy. Right. It's true. It's true. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. The old has passed away, all things have become new. Exactly. And, and let me just say this to just transition from what David just said. Remember that all of us standing before the judgment seat of Christ are believers in Christ. That you, our eternal destiny is not in question. This is about reward. Are we shocked really that even though we're all going to be going into the kingdom because we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, 
It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Are we shocked that there's not going to be a meeting out of reward from our Savior who said what we do in life does count? Are we sh- anybody shocked at that? And I'll give you just this quick illustration. You've probably heard me give it before. If, if you and I have tickets to the Super Bowl and somehow we get knowledge that the Lions are going and we're just, we get tickets, and the tickets, oh hush, and the tickets, <laughs> skepticism in the house of God, who knew? Um, and, and the tickets are free. Are you getting the analogy here? The tickets are free to the game. Free. Free. And the ticket is yours. It can never be taken back. It's a gift. It can never, gifts don't get taken back. So we're going to the game. We're going to the game. We're in that stadium. Now, once you get to the game, I think this concept of reward is about taking in the joy of the game. If between now and the time that the game comes, I decide to learn about football. I read about football. I engage in four fantasy football leagues. I go buy some pads and join a, and I I play football, flag probably at my age. I play some flag football. And I really, when I get to the game, now let's say you're going with me and you just say, I'm going to the game. Don't need to know no football. I'll just, just, you know, I don't eat popcorn and enjoy the crowd. When we get to the game, my capacity for receiving the glory of the game will be this big. Your capacity for receiving the glory of the game will be this big. Who's going to enjoy the game more? I think that captures, in a way, the concept of reward. Now, the other piece of reward that I think we have to be careful we don't miss, somebody pick that phone up, will you? I don't know that ring's coming. Pick that thing up. And tur- can we turn our cell phones off just for this teaching time, please? Um, the other thing is, I remember when Carla went across the stage to get her diploma uh, as a high school senior. We've got a picture of her. If I've told you this before, sorry, but this is what comes to my mind. She already had the diploma. She's going. In that case, obviously work for the diploma, but let the analogy stand. That Let's just say she had the diploma. It was given to her. You know who handed her the diploma? with a big smile and an embrace. I think he probably hugged you, didn't he, sweetheart? You don't remember? Oh, boy. Um, Anyway, her dad was the chairman of the school board. And so when she went across the stage, she got to receive her reward from her daddy. What John is trying to give us in 1 John 2.28, he's trying to say, this one who loves us and whom we love This one whom we have one life to live with and be with and to embrace and to be embraced by. And one day we're going to stand before him and he's he's implying that the greatest moment of our life or the most disappointing moment of our life will be in that moment when it's not even about the reward per se. It's about the moment with the giver. When we will either hear him say, well done, or to quote Paul, saved as though by fire by the skin of your teeth, because quite frankly, you, you were involved in Jack from the moment you met me to the time you came home. So don't miss the relational component here. John, John is saying we want to serve him and be with him and give him away because we love him, because he first loved us, which our choir sang for us this morning. So those are the two components of reward that I understand at this stage of my journey. Can we, can we move on? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, I want you to stand, and let's read these four verses. 
And then I want to give you a few illustrations, one of which is a song I'm going to play for you, and then I'm going to try to teach this real quickly here. 1 John, starting with verse 29, and there's, there's a connection I'm going to share with you in just a moment. Verse 29 says, well, I'll read verse 28 again. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous... You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, the word could be translated, gaze upon, get a good look at, focus on and don't look away. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. They don't, they don't get this whole thing. Beloved, now we're children of God, but, but it has not yet been revealed. We can't yet see what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when we see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now, everyone, and you know the Greek word uh, for everyone is best translated, everyone, thank you. And everyone who has this hope in Christ purifies him or herself just as Christ himself is pure. Yikes. You may be seated. Now, what we're going to see in this text, I almost wish that I had gotten with Megan earlier in the week and had thought of this, but I didn't think of it till this morning. You know this new technology where they're, they're helping us, we can look at things split screen. I mean, it's not new technology, but it's being given to our homes now. Uh, I'm right about this, am I not? So help me know if I'm in the 21st century, I'm still in the 90s here, because it's doubtful at times. Um, and, and so John is giving us like a split screen that has four quadrants. And there's four verses here. And there's four things that he's saying. If you can keep your eyes here, you're going to abide in Christ. So, so it makes sense, doesn't it? That coming out of 1 John 2.28 when he says, the next thing on the calendar, and this is urgent, is that we're going to stand before him. And people need to know him before we get there. So this is really important. So would it make sense he's going to start to tell us what it means to abide in Christ? How do we abide in Christ? He's going to give us four little split screens of, of basically saying it's what we see that will begin to turn us in to who we're trying to be. What we see, what we, and by the way, he's going to imply we can choose where we look. What we see is going to begin to turn us in who we're trying to be. Now, just to give you kind of a feel for this, instead of just words, look on the screen. Have you ever noticed how dogs and owners, once they spend some time together, they start looking like one another? Now, these coming up, I can't, these have to be fake. They can't be real. (laughs) 
Yeah, you get the point. Um, and I, I know it's a little bit of a cornball illustration, and, and, and I'm not saying that they didn't actually look like each other when they started their journey together, but it, just for the moment, give the benefit of the doubt that the more they get together, the more they start to become as they observe one another, they start to become like one another. Now, I know soon you're going to get sick of granddaughter pictures, but I've got one more for you. Now, don't, don't show it yet. I want you to notice how in this picture, my little granddaughter, and you won't know this unless I tell you, chronologically, my wife, her grandmother, Carla, uh, makes this face first, and then you're going to see the result of what my little granddaughter does in imitation of her grandmother. Look at this picture. And if you can't see from the back, you know, Carla's like, going like this, and it was so funny. I, I'm, I'm a poor picture taker with all the technology, and I just caught it at the right time when she just, she looks back and puckers up her little mouth, just an imitation of her grandmother. Again, what we see begins to turn us into who or what we're trying to be. Now, one last kind of illustration. These are kind of getting increasingly personal. I alluded to a song a few weeks ago and it's only going to take me three minutes to play this, but it's a song by Bonnie Raitt, and it's, and it's a song called Guilty, and it's, it's kind of raw, and, and if it offends some of your sensibilities, know this, that there was a, a video we could have played with it that I thought would have been too over the top. But I think this song illustrates the fact, now stay with me here, that many times throughout our weeks and our months, there's something inside of us, even in our inner mind, that focuses upon and gazes upon and dwells upon the very worst, most wounded, most distorted pieces of ourselves. That's where we find ourselves focusing. And thus, are we surprised that that's what we find ourselves becoming? I want you to listen to this song by some, a desperate sister that Bonnie Raitt writes about in this song called Guilty and see if it speaks to you. Till 
20 minutes here. I got five minutes a point. I got five minutes a picture to somehow, as a, this, a human vessel, to somehow translate what the beloved disciple got from your Holy Spirit about how this that Bonnie's saying that so resides in so many of our hearts, the lies that have been there for so long. It's one of the subtle, insidious, powerful pieces of deceit and trickery that the enemy uses to keep us from abiding in our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Holy Spirit, now take these four pictures and put them deep into our spirit. And I'm praying for healing this morning, even as we close our service coming to the table of the Lord, that we walk out of here today starting to believe that we're someone other than what we've just heard sung about. Fill in the blank with our own baggage. We're someone other. We are a son and daughter of the living God destined for righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this is vignette number one on your outlines. In fact, here's what it says in verse 229. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. This is a way you could say it. That John's saying, I want you to know something. I want you to see something, that God is righteous. And his kids, that would be us. When we're our true selves, we do righteousness. Now again, that $25 theological term righteousness, it's up here on the right here. Um, it, it simply means living out the character of God, the life-giving character of God. That's all it means. 
in this entire section, all the way up to chapter 4, when he stops talking about the return of Jesus, it's all going to be about righteousness, starting right here, these opening words. And what he's saying is, my brothers and sisters, is though sometimes we think we're something else, we have the DNA of our Heavenly Father. And because he is righteous, when you and I are living out of our true self, we are righteous. We do the character of God the Father on this planet with all kinds of mess raging all around us and temptation and stuff like Sophia talked about up in our face and old habits and old baggage and the cocaine man looking here and the money guy looking over here and the two ex-husbands or wives looking over here and our children who are angry at us looking over here and just the wounds from our childhood screaming out from in here that when we are acting out of the character of our true DNA, my brothers and sisters, as children of the living God, we do righteousness. He's saying, when we look in the mirror, can we ask the Holy Spirit to begin to show us that we, as children of the Father, are destined for righteousness? And my brothers and sisters, if you allow the enemy to fill you with that old lie that this is all I am. This is all I'll ever be. I'm just going to barely be able to make it the rest of my life because you, I'm not like the rest of those church folk. Can I tell you, there's no such thing as church folk. There's just folk. And if we go through our days listening to those old voices that are telling us, you know how it is with me, baby. This is all I've got. When the word of God said, we are sons and daughters of a father who has bequeathed to us his DNA and he is righteous. And so when you see righteousness, you know it's attached to a son and daughter of God. And it doesn't mean that as sons and daughters of God, we always live out of our DNA. And it's not saying on the days that we don't live out of our DNA that we're not sons and daughters. It's just saying the only ones who can truly do righteousness are the ones that have true righteousness in their DNA. That would be sons and daughters of God. So what would it be like if this week, if somehow, and you heard me pray it, but I wish there was a way I could do it. I wish I could, I could get it up under our shirts. I wish I could cram it into our ears. I wish I could put it through the orifices of our eyeballs. I wish I could get it through our hair follicles. I wish I could get this word down into us. So this week, when the enemy says, see what you did, that's who you are. We can shout back, that is not who I am. I'm a child of a father who is righteous. And that's why I am destined for righteousness. I had a bad moment, but that's not who I am. When I look in the mirror, I see a daughter of a righteous God, and I have righteousness in me. That's my destiny. When I look in the mirror, I see a son of the living God, a father who is righteous, and I have that righteousness in me. So go to hell, Satan, yeah. because I've got the truth that I see with my spiritual eyes to trump your lies. Are you starting to catch this a little bit? Yes. 
Number two, he says, and, and this is what happens. It's a, it's a shame that the editors of the New Testament have taken 229 and left it in chapter 2. And now chapter 3, verse 1, it looks like John takes a breath and he starts a whole new theme. Don't you know that? That it looks like that, right? Can I tell you, how many of you know that the chapter divisions in the New Testament and in the Old Testament are artificial? How many of you know that? John didn't say, chapter 3, it's time. He just wrote the letter. English authors, editors, get together and we decide where it needs to be divided. So I want you to, I don't want you to deface your Bible, but it's almost like you ought to kind of scratch out chapter 3 here. This ought to become like chapter 2, verse 30, if you know what I mean. But as long as you get that in your head, you'll get the point. That there's a connection here, and this is the connection. John, talking in his mind about God's children and who they really are, causes John to contemplate more deeply something else about the Father. Not just that he's righteous and we are his children, thus we're destined for righteousness, but, and this is the way I'll, I'll say it in number two. In fact, let me read the verse, chapter three, verse one. Behold, I want you to see this. What manner of love, and that little Greek phrase, what manner of, implies something glorious, something amazing. Behold, what glorious, what amazing love, what kind of love that this God who calls himself Father, this righteous God, has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. It's something the world doesn't know because it really never knew him. So this is the way you might write it down. Truth number two that we're, we're trying to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see. See the wonder of the Father's glorious love that caused him to make us his kids to begin with. Usually I've got 16 illustrations and four word pictures. I don't think that needs anything. I think what John's saying is, man, when you gather, man, he says, I want you to take a look. I want you to take a look. Look at my sister Nadine. Kidding me? A daughter of the living God. Woo! Wow! What manner of love called my sister Nadine into his kingdom and said, you're going to be my righteous daughter. Amazing stuff. And because I know a little bit about Nadine's journey, I know I know, to see her up here leading this choir, to see her with passion, parenting her little girl. I mean, it's like, it's like it makes me want to go, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, 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 thank you. Did you know this, Nadine, that as I look at you, I see the glory of the love of God in you? He's called you out to be his daughter. He loves you so much. And you're destined for righteousness, I'm telling you. When you, when you look in the mirror the next time, my prayer is going to be that you see the love of God all over you that made you his little girl. You see what I'm saying? When we get together, I know how we are because we're, we're, we tend to be like the person in the Bonnie Raitt song. We tend to be walking in and we're kind of going... 
Who knows? Who knows about who I really am inside? So we tend to put on, don't we? We're a little more honest in the parking lot. We get in here, it's like, hey, these church people, they might see, man. Is my slip showing, man? They... John says when we get together, it's about take a look at the sons and daughters of God. Take a look at the offspring of the Father. And, and, and just so that Nadine doesn't feel so alone, I know who I would be if I wasn't a son of the living God. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to repeat it to you again. I would be somewhere other than here, I can promise you. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we might be called his sons and his daughters. And so one of the reasons we praise when we get together is we take a look around and go, there's my brother Alton, there's my brother Dan, there's my brother Kirk, there, there's my sister Carla, there's my sister Angela, there's my brother Damon. Look at them, man. I know some of their journey. They're sons and daughters of God where the enemy would have taken them, where he had taken them. If he wouldn't have gone into that big orphanage and said, I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and adopted and chose us. He chose us because he wanted us. Where would we be? Where would we be? Where would we be? Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that he has been able to and decided to call us sons and daughters of God. And by the way, if you're sitting here today, and this ain't a criticism, it's just an evaluation. If you're sitting there going, what's all the fuss about? Then, then can I just say maybe you don't have a very adequate understanding of who you really are without him. Because if you think that what I'm doing right now with this passion is some kind of rhetoric or tool that I, that I learned at the theological seminary, that I'm just going to say, you don't know me. In fact, at Dallas Seminary, they would have expressly said, never do what I just did. Never do it. Because it would freak somebody out. That's just the way I was trained. You, you, you were trained more to stand there and to choose all the correct eloquent verbiage and to share it with the wave of the arm. <laughs> And I'm just saying, when I get here today, because of the privilege of being with you and pastoring you and you opening up your arms and hearts and lives to me and your journeys, when I see you, it causes me to say, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that he has called us to be sons and daughters of his. That's vision number two. The first two pieces of the seeing about the Father. The Father's righteousness, which is ours. The Father's love, which has been given to us to call us out. What if the next time the enemy, that snake, brought in front of our face some kind of vicious lie and temptation to take us back to where we were before, that we never really, really, really want to go back to again. What if we could see in our mind's eye 
who we really are as a son and daughter of God and be overwhelmed by the magnificent love of a father that would make us his sons and daughters. I just, I just want to sit with it, man. I just want to sit with it. I want to put my arm around some of you who are just feeling it and are touched and some of the rest of you I want to get with you and buy you a cup of coffee and start digging around in your spirit to know what the defenses are that keep you from going there what wounds are there that keep you from going there because can I tell you if we can't see and know this love how in the world can we abide in Christ did you hear what I said how if we can't see and know this love how in the world can we abide in Christ the next piece of the journey is to see and know this love, to see this on one of the four pieces of the screen, to be able to begin to see a glimpse. You know, this week we had the kind of clouds that every once in a while the sun would just break through. If we could even just begin to see a glimpse, then we, we know the sun is there. And we can't see it all the time, but if we begin to see a glimpse to know that love, it's that love that we see that is before us, that's before us, that we try to live before us with it before us, before our vision, his righteousness and his love, and his love and his righteousness, his righteousness and his magnificent love that we see, that we literally see that causes us to be able to abide in Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. And then vision number three um, and let me just tell you John's thought. Seeing and almost gawking at who we are now, get this now, gets John thinking about who we're going to be at this thing called his revealing. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, that, by the way, is a translation of the same Greek word that was used in 1 John 2.28, that talks of his appearing. It's the Greek word phanaeraho, which means his unveiling. It's another word for his return. The one word was, remember, parousia? This word is translated his unveiling or his appearing. And so it's the same Greek word. So what John is talking about in this third vision is this, and you can look at this in, on, the, on the screen. He's calling us to see and dream about. Now that he's told us who we really are and how much we're loved, I want you to see and begin to dream about who we shall be, which is to be transformed to be exactly like him. He says, quite frankly, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but this I know. One day we're going to see him and this time we're going to see him, John says, as he really is. There'll be no caricature, no distortion. You know, I've told you the story about my, my daughters with their Barbie dolls. And there's so many different outfits. And every day, depending on their mood, they dress up that Barbie doll in a different outfit. To the point that Barbie didn't even look like Barbie, you know. She'd be downhill skiing one day and water skiing the next and... Then fly into the moon in an astronaut's outfit. All, shall we say, caricatures of who Barbie really is. You and I have gotten so much downloaded into us over the years. Can you say amen to that? 
from church stuff, educational stuff, personal baggage stuff, so that Jesus, when we see him, instead of seeing him as he really is, I mean, we're growing in that ability, but instead of seeing him as he really is, it's kind of like looking into one of those funhouse mirrors where it's just all jagged lines and eyes out of place. Difficult, don't you think, sometimes to follow of Jesus that we can't see clearly and we comb the Gospels and we do the work to try to strip him of all the stuff that we put on him. And yet John says, we'll never completely get it done. But he says, one day Jesus will appear and then we will, at that moment, we will see him as he really is. And at that instant, we will be completely like him. Yikes. So this is what came to me. I'm like, you mean like inside and out like him? Yeah, John says. You mean emotionally like him? Yeah, because you see me still, I've still got damaged emotional places. Any of you have some of that damage inside? And I've healed a whole lot. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here before you in my right mind this morning. But I can still tell some days when somebody says a certain thing to me, I just, I just come out with something that's so incredibly defensive and incredibly angry, sarcastic, ugly. I'm going, man, I... I still have some distorted places in my emotions that aren't yet healed. But John says, can I just tell you, son, don't focus on that. But in that moment, I want you to lift up your eyes. I want you to see something. I want you to see in your mind the moment when your Savior will come back. He'll stand there. You'll see him exactly as it is. And in that moment, your emotions will be just like his, pure and whole and rock solid and wonderful. Because in the moment that you see him as he really is, you're going to be just like him. You mean physically? Man, I've got one bad knee, two surgeries, need a third. And this week, out of the blue, I did nothing. All of a sudden, underneath my kneecap, Winnie, something is wrong. So this week, I've been walking around like this because both of my knees are screwed up. One day, I'm going to see him. My Jesus with two good knees, not knee replacements, two good knees. And my knees are going to be just like his. Audrey Brennan will be out of the chair walking around because she's going to be just like her Jesus. Spiritually, intellectually. No temptation, no sin, no poverty, no jealousy, no pain, no fighting, no division, no talk of hatred, no tears. I remember when Carl and I were dating. I know she's going, what's he going to say this time? (laughs) This is such a good story. But (laughs) she said that was exactly right. If there's an illustration that I think she wouldn't appreciate, I try to ask her before I give it. But some of these, 
the Holy Spirit gives me, honey. So what am I supposed to do when the Holy Spirit... <laughs> Believe me, she ain't buying any of what I just said there. I do think this honors uh, you, though, and us, but we were just dating, and I was coming home from seminary, and I think we were going to get engaged that Christmas. I don't know if she knew it, but I knew it, of course. I had the ring. had worked hard uh, to pay for that thing. And uh, I remember leaving Dallas, and it was 17 and a half hours. I was driving an old 1978 American Matador, or American Motors Matador. That's what I'm talking about, man. American Motors, baby. Matador. I took that into a mechanic one time, and he looked at me. This was a mechanic. He should have been trying to win my business. He looked at me and said, you drive this thing? This is a dog, man. This is a dog of a car. That thing pinged. I could have put rocket fuel in it, and it pinged. You couldn't even accelerate without it pinging. Anyway, all the way home in this American Matador, 1978 metallic blue, white vinyl top. And all I could see in my mind was the fact that my wife had driven down from her home and she was up in my sister's room there in my parents' home and all the way home, baby, all the way home. By the way, I was getting sick. I remember, I shouldn't tell you this part of it. <laughs> I was getting sick. And you know how you, you, when you feel sick, you just have to, you want to get stuff out of your mouth and, and put it outside, you know. And so when I got home, the side of my car was, let me just say, not, not good. It was not good. Since that day, I've never done that because I have that visual. But I can just tell you that I wasn't even feeling well, and it was 17 and a half hours, and I left about 10 o'clock at night, so I had to drive, or maybe 5 o'clock in the afternoon, so I had to drive all night. And all I could think about, all I could see, all I could see was my friend. In my mind, all I could see was my friend. And you know how you forget most of what you do in your life? You just forget it. It's somewhere in your unconscious self. I have such a vivid memory of that night, finally after 17 and a half hours getting out of that car, running up those stairs, running into that room. She got up. She had my football jersey on from my senior year in college. And uh, she threw her arms around me and I threw my arms around her. I had lived that 17 and a half hours sick in my heart, my gut, my spirit with my eyes on the prize. And, and the prize did not disappoint. You see what John's saying? He's saying, lift up your eyes and see and dream about your Jesus returning, the one who loves you with all of his heart. He loves you so much. He gave his life for you. And dream about that moment when you see him that you will, in an instant, be just like he is. Are, are you seeing the split screen images? See his righteousness, and we are his righteous sons and daughters. See his powerful, marvelous love that has made us his sons and daughters. See his son's return and our transformation. Last vision, number four. Seeing what we shall be causes John to speak about Everyone who makes this their vision, he says, see and focus your hope on him and his return. And watch how you begin to be transformed right now. Everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. This, stay with me this last two minutes. 
do you, are you reading this? Because this is what American Christianity has taught me insidiously over the years. If I've got a, uh, an anger problem, I need to read every book on anger, do all of the work on my family of origin issues to grieve losses, which, by the way, I believe in all that I'm saying, by the way. I believe in it all. Can I tell you, none of this is bad. Raise your hand if you just heard what I just said. This is all good. I've done all of this with my particular issue. So I've read all the books on anger. I've gone to the counseling. I've done the grieving of my past stuff. I've forgiven folks that, you know, the residual anger was there that I was taking out on others. I've done all that, and it's all good. John says you can do all of that, and there's still going to be a missing piece because we still live in these fleshly bodies, and there's just this residual, and there's just, there's just pain, and there's just temptation, and there's just life. He says, let me tell you what the last piece is. You lift up your eyes, and you begin to focus on the Father and his righteousness, the Father and his great love, the Son and his return, and his transformation of us to be just like him. And we make that our hope. We do the, listen, we do the other stuff because it's healthy, but our hope is set on. Our eyes are glued to whatever happened that day in the counseling session or the work on recovery or going to the meeting and staying sober, which is all good, working on the past stuff with our kids and our present stuff with our spouses and the stuff at work with the man that we can't stand or if we are the man, the workers that don't seem to stand us and we can't stand them either, whatever. As we do all of that work, none of that is our focus. It's not our gaze is not there. It's not our hope. Our hope is... Lifted up, seeing the Son and His righteousness and love return and make us to be like Him. And did you notice that it says, everyone who has this hope purifies themselves. You, you find yourself getting more pure. And the Greek word pure is best translated pure. I'm thinking about if I start over here and, and in the water jug, there's like, of my life, there's sediment. There's little crawlies. I'll tell you one thing. I'll never eat another piece of sushi in my life because I saw this science channel thing on some sushi that wasn't frozen right and these little worm things that got in this person, man. And you can't even see him, man. If you were playing on sushi this afternoon, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> so I'm thinking of this was my life. Listen, this is our lives, all right? This, even when we trust Christ, here we are, man. When we trust Christ, we're saved as Dave said, we're, we're forgiven, and yet, in, in, our, in our flesh, what's still there, man? All the junk. And so, sometimes we're told, just work really hard at it. Just get it together. You can get it together, man. Just work harder, man. You get it together, man. You, aren't you like us, man? We're getting it together. Why aren't you getting it together, man? Just try, man. You ain't trying. You know what John says? 
get your eyes up and you see the Father and his righteousness and his magnificent love. Make it the focal point of your life in your worst moment. He loves you. In your most moment, you're not defined by that. You're a, a son of a righteous God, a daughter of a righteous God. In your worst moment, this moment won't last. Christ is returning. We'll see him as he is. And in that moment, he'll make us just like him in every way. And guess what? When our hope is there, all of a sudden, we start moving. Sometimes it seems like it's watching our own grass grow. But eventually, one day, we get up and we go, where's the sediment? Where's the, the worms? Where's the junk? My life is becoming pure because everyone who has this hope in him or herself purifies themselves. Promise of the word of God. In fact, my brothers and sisters, if you've been setting your hope there this week, you think, man, I don't look anything. I look exactly like I did last Sunday. That is a lie because if your hope has been set here on Christ and the Father and all of that love and righteousness and transformation, I can tell you this week, you might not have been able to feel it or see it, but you were in the process of being purified and transformed already. It's been happening to you this week. And if your focus has been on something else, then I guess the message of the hour says, as you leave here today, get your eyes up and see the Father's love and his righteousness and the Son's transformational return and watch how you begin to become a pure vessel of the living God. Woo! Wow! Don't you just love this thing? This word? Don't you just love it? If this is the truth, and I, you know, sometimes my brother Joel Osteen bugs me. One of the things I like that they do, they hold this up and they go, this is the word of God. Whatever we've been focusing on last week, this is what we're believing this week. If this is the word of God, my brothers and sisters, then no matter who you are here today, how sordid your journey has been, how many deep, dark secrets you have that you think, if anybody knew, I'm telling you, everyone means everyone. Get your eyes off your stuff. Get your eyes onto Christ, and you will become a pure vessel of the living God. Yeah, even me and even you. Amen and amen. Now, I said 20 minutes, but obviously I lied. So, um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. Will you stay with us, please? As they're setting up right now, our servers are going to come. I want you to talk to your neighbor for one second and say, when Pastor Kay was talking about 1 John and we'll be just like him, what came into your spirit that you were like, for Kevin, it's about the emotions. For me, it's about, I can't wait till I see him because then this will be changed. Can you, can you have that conversation right now just for a minute and a half with your neighbor and then we'll come and take the Lord's table.